Our text today is Luke chapter 19. 25 years ago this past June, I stood in this same pulpit in a different building for the very first time, and I preached from Luke chapter 19. I'll try to do a better job this time. Follow along as I read the first ten verses. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give, <clears throat> I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. <clears throat> Jericho in the first century was already an ancient city. It was founded 9,000 or so years earlier which makes it one of the oldest, maybe the oldest, permanent settlement in the world. When Jesus walked through Jericho, it was a splendid place. There was a great plantation of aromatic balsam wood, which was, gave the whole area this aroma and was highly prized throughout the Roman world. Herod the Great had built a palace on a 25-acre resort in Jericho. There was a new sports stadium, the Hippodrome there. And all around town, one could find Roman statuary. It was the artsy place to go. Jericho was where the well-heeled spent their winters in Israel. It was also a commercial center. If you wanted to buy it, this was the place to look. If you wanted to sell it, this is the place where people could afford it. Verse 2 introduces us to this man named Zacchaeus, which is a, a shortened form, a nickname, if you will, of Zechariah, which means righteous one. Now that name doesn't seem to fit this guy. It would be like naming a kid with jet black hair Sandy, or naming me Shorty. With a name like Zechariah, righteous one, we have to think his parents hoped that he would grow up to be a godly, spiritually mature kind of guy. But that was his parents' hopes, not his. Luke says Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. It's a word that only occurs once in the New Testament. But we know what the job was, both from biblical and extra-biblical evidence. Tax collectors played an important role in the Roman Empire. In first century Israel, there were two basic kinds of taxes that were collected. There were direct taxes, for example, a tax on agricultural produce, a flat tax that was levied on all men over the age of 14 and on all women between the ages of 12 and 65. And then there was later on added a property tax. These direct taxes were levied and then collected through the Israelite government. The other kind of tax 
was on trade. Customs, duties, road tolls, harbor dues, people who produced goods, transported goods, crossed provincial lines, had to pay these taxes. For all intents and purposes, this tax funded the Roman military occupation of Israel. It paid the salaries of government officials, it funded military operations, it maintained roads, it provided essential services. The Romans didn't collect this tax directly or through Israel's government. Instead, they privatized the collection process by taking bids from independent contractors who would guarantee a certain dollar amount in revenue from their district. The contractor whose bid was accepted would then hire a staff of tax collectors who worked on something like a commission. Each collector would be responsible to generate a certain amount of revenue from his particular region. But anything that he collected above that amount, he could keep. So this amounted to a pyramid scheme for tax collection. Of course, the contractor or the chief tax collector, as Luke calls him, would submit a bid to the Romans that was lower than what he thought he could collect. And then he would require his staff to collect more than he'd bid, and he kept anything left over for himself. And his staff did the same. They would pressure people, even extort citizens, in order to collect more than what was mandated for their region so that they could keep whatever was left over. And you thought the IRS was bad. The Roman system of taxation seemed to be corrupt by design. So you can imagine how people living in Israel felt about tax collectors. They weren't only cheats and frauds. It was their fraudulent cheating that funded the foreign occupation of their land. What was even more detestable was the fact that the people collecting the tax were fellow Israelites. They were men who had sold out their country for personal profit. The tax collector was the most hated man in the country. They hated more than Gentiles, more than the irreligious, more than the enemy soldiers who patrolled the streets. Now, tax collectors, and especially the ones at the top of the pyramid, were wealthy people. And yet they were still the least of the least in Israel. The last of the last. The most lost of the lost. Zacchaeus had probably been a tax collector for years. Otherwise, he wouldn't have reached the top of the pyramid in, in Jericho, which may have been the most lucrative region in all Palestine. Luke says that he was rich. He had all the stuff that money could buy. He'd been li- had he been living in our age, he would have the newest technology, the nicest house or houses, the most fashionable clothes, the most expensive cars. But whether in that age or this, all the stuff that money could buy was not enough. Zacchaeus was not flourishing. He was withering. Money won't feed a soul. Though sometimes it can poison it. All this explains, I think, what Luke says next. He sought to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus was seeking something. And from what he'd heard about Jesus, the tax collector's friend, he thought that maybe he could help him find it. The Greek says that he sought. He was a seeker. He sought to see Jesus, who he was. Zacchaeus' money for years had made it possible for him to distract himself with work, with leisure, with hobbies. But his distractions weren't distracting enough. 
They're no longer keeping his dissatisfaction at bay. He was more and more aware of it. Zacchaeus the secret found all the stuff that the people of his day were looking for. But he lost himself in the search. Now the same thing can happen to you too. When we seek for God and his kingdom, we inevitably find ourselves. When we seek for anything else, whether we find it or not, we lose ourselves. And I read an interesting story. In January of this year, a 67-year-old Belgian woman was driving to Brussels, which was about 90 miles from where she lived, to see a friend. But the GPS directions that she was following were faulty, probably because she entered in something wrong when she did it. And she drove all the way to Croatia, a thousand miles away. She crossed five international borders. She stopped several times to get gas. She took naps. But she kept driving and she, until she got to Zagreb, the capital city of Croatia. Later, when a Belgian reporter asked her, she explained it this way. She said, I was distracted, so I kept going. I saw all kinds of signs, first in French, then in German, finally in Croatian. But I continued driving because I was distracted. I told myself I should turn around. I was distracted, so I kept going. That's how it works. That's how it works in our lives. That's how people get so lost. Zacchaeus kept going, and he got further and further away from where he wanted to be. Which means he got further and further away from his true self. Now I have to ask, is it possible that describes you? And then something. Maybe a word from a friend that he knew led him to think that Jesus could help. And so he turned his seeking skills, he was a seeker, he turned them towards Jesus. He wanted to know who this guy was. Was he for real? Now, had you asked him? I don't think Zacchaeus could have told you why he wanted to see Jesus, but he did, and he wanted to see him badly. Something inside of him, a spiritual homing device, if you will, had turned on. And it had set him to find Jesus. But that wasn't as easy as he'd hoped. Luke says that he couldn't see because of the crowd. Ironically, it was the people around Jesus, the people who were all excited about Jesus, who made it difficult for this seeker to find him. And you know, that's the way it usually works. It's frequently the people around Jesus, the people sitting in the pews on Sunday mornings, who sometimes inadvertently and sometimes intentionally block seekers from finding Jesus. Remember, it's Jesus' chosen disciples who rebuked parents for bringing their children to him. It was Jesus' students who unintentionally blocked the paralyzed man from reaching him. And here it's the crowd that is genuinely excited about Jesus who prevented Zacchaeus from seeing him. Now, imagine the scene. Crowds of people line both sides of Jericho's main street. Some of these people are here because they think that Jesus is Israel's Messiah, their next king, and they are anxious to catch a glimpse of him. They want to be able to see. I, saw, I say, I saw him first. I saw him way back in Jericho. There they are standing shoulder to shoulder along this route, talking excitedly when they notice that little traitor, that outcast, that man that they love to hate, trying to squeeze his way to the front of the crowd. No one will let him through. 
As soon as they see him, they nudge each other and they close ranks and then they laugh among themselves because he can't get through. He can't see over them. Maybe they throw a few elbows accidentally, of course, and make snide remarks to let this traitor know that he is not welcome. That might have been enough to make another man give up or to make Zacchaeus at another point in his life give up, but not now. Something urged him on. That something was the Spirit of God working on him, working in him. The Spirit points the seeker to Jesus the way the compass points the explorer north. In verse 4, we find Zacchaeus doing two things that a grown man in the first century Israel would not want to be caught doing. First, he ran. Older men did not run in this society. Running meant holding up the skirts of your robe with one hand or two hands while you run. And then, and that's not a dignified thing to do, but in a procedure even less refined, he then climbed a tree. Little boys climbed trees. Rich men generally did not. Zacchaeus probably thought that he was hidden up there in the leaves of the sycamore fig tree. I don't think he wanted people to see him like some robed monkey hanging from a tree. As the throng entered the city, coming down from the north, he could make them out and perhaps see the man who was leading the parade, whom he rightly concluded to be Jesus. As the procession got closer, he could see him more and more clearly, and I suspect when he got close enough, he could see a slight smile on Jesus' face. When Jesus was almost directly under this tree, he stopped, and the whole parade suddenly came to a halt. And then Jesus did something totally unexpected. He looked up at Zacchaeus with that knowing smile on his face, and he called him by name. This is the turning point of the story. This is, we need to understand this if we're going to appreciate the message of the Gospel of Luke. All this time, Zacchaeus assumed he was the seeker. He was the hunter. Jesus was the hunted. Now the storyline is turned upside down. Zacchaeus thought he was the seeker, and here we find Jesus was seeking him. Zacchaeus thought he was the hunter. Jesus was hunting him. And not only hunting him, he treed him. And Zacchaeus had nowhere to go. Zacchaeus had wanted to see who Jesus was. Jesus wanted to see who Zacchaeus could become. In John's Gospel, Jesus says that the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Here was one of his sheep. It's true, he was the runt of the litter. His wool was poor, he was stubborn, and he had plenty of other defects. But he was one of the good shepherds, own sheep. And his sheep know his voice, even when they don't know that they know it. Jesus told him to come down quickly. Whenever Jesus tells us anything, we ought to do it quickly. Come down quickly because I must stay at your house today. I must. That must reminds us of one of the important themes of the Gospel of Luke that we've already looked at. 
God is fulfilling his purpose through the life of Jesus. There are a dozen musts in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus must be in his Father's house. He must preach the good news. He must suffer many things and be killed. There's a purpose at work behind the events of life. And Jesus lives within that purpose. He moves within that purpose. Now, it's important to note that the divine purpose is not just about the big things. It's also about small things, about eating a meal and spending time with a guy nobody else likes. Meeting Zacchaeus was as much God's purpose for Jesus as were the great things, the preaching tours, the miracles, the final trip to Jerusalem. And it's that way in our lives, too. Not all of God's musts are about the big things. We make a huge mistake when we get into that frame of mind. God only cares about the big things. That's not true. Taking a job, moving a family, starting a career, yes, those may be God's musts in your life, and they might not be. Sometimes his musts are about calling your elderly neighbor to see how he's doing, or eating lunch with a guy at work that nobody likes. There are times it may be possible to move to the West Coast or to stay in Michigan, to stick with your job or take a different one, and still be in God's will either way. There are times, though, when if you don't speak to that lonely veteran standing in line in the pharmacy, you will move yourself right out of God's will and you'll do it right there and then. Zacchaeus was a must in God's will for Jesus. Jesus told him, I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus received that word joyfully and he came down quickly, but the people around Jesus didn't take it as well. This guy was the traitor. He was a crook. The least of the least. The last of the last. They didn't think Jesus should consort with a guy like this. They had drawn a circle with Jesus in the middle and themselves on the inside. That Zacchaeus was clearly on the outside. They didn't want him in their neighborhood. They wanted him on the outside. And they couldn't understand why Jesus Jesus wanted him in. But Jesus, and this is something that we can and must learn from the Gospel of Luke, is extraordinarily inclusive. He doesn't keep anyone out. He invites Gentiles into the circle. He invites prostitutes. He invites Samaritans. He even invites tax collectors. Everyone's welcome. The watchword of the kingdom of God is whosoever will may come. Now, don't gloss over this. If you do, you'll end up behaving just like these people did. It is all too easy for us to say the gospel is for people like us. And think that it's not for people like them. Where them can be Asians or Africans, conservatives or liberals, gays or Muslims, rich or poor. Jesus would include them all. And we must too. The gospel of salvation reaches to the least, the last, and the lost. But, and here's the thing that we need to be clear about. Anyone can accept Jesus' invitation. Anyone. But no one can accept his invitation and yet stay where he or she is. Zacchaeus couldn't accept the word of Jesus and stay in the tree or stay in his greedy looking out for number one life. Anyone can come to Jesus. Jews, Gentiles, Buddhists, Muslims, Christians, gays, straights, blacks, whites, Asians, 
Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Agrarians, Vegetarians, Authoritarians, Parliamentarians, Contrarians, Barbarians, Humanitarians, anyone can come to Jesus. No one can come to Jesus and not be changed. When a person comes to Jesus, his identity is changed from whatever it had been to Jesus' disciple. His identity is changed immediately. But his opinions and behaviors may change with time. To be Jesus' disciple is to commit, to be dead set to becoming like him. And here there is no Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, or vegetarian, parliamentarian, authoritarian, contrary, contrarian, that Jesus is all and is in all. The people watching as Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' life couldn't understand why he would do such a thing. It didn't make any sense to them. They grumbled he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. They found that shocking. But they should have known better. Jesus is the friend of sinners. If he weren't, he wouldn't have any friends. Their attitude might have been different had they understood that Zacchaeus could only accept Jesus' invitation. Pause there for a moment. I call it an invitation. But it is really an imperative mood verb in Greek. Jesus orders Zacchaeus to come down because he must stay at his house. It's a command rather than an invitation, though it's a command full of grace and humor and goodwill. And that's the way it is when Jesus comes to us and he finds us up a tree. He orders us in a command that's full of grace and joy to bring him into our lives. If we refuse, we're not merely exercising an option that's open to us. We're disobeying the command of God. The people complaining didn't realize that Zacchaeus could only accept Jesus' invitation if he were willing to become Jesus' person. And that meant change. But Zacchaeus understood that perfectly well. Look at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up. Now, that's interesting. Why did he have to stand up? Had he come down so hastily, as the Greek puts it, that he had fallen down? He's on the ground in front of Jesus in this crowd and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus understood that becoming Jesus' disciple would change him. His identity would change. His behavior would change. Everyone's invited. But those who aren't willing to change don't accept the invitation. Now that brings up another important theme in this gospel. A person's discipleship is tested, is proved by the way he uses his money or his possessions, which might be a better way of putting it. In this gospel, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. In this gospel, and only in this gospel, Jesus says, whoever does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. 
In this gospel, Jesus warns people, you can't serve both God and money. Jesus never tried to hide this. This wasn't in the fine print. This is at the top of the page in bold letters. If you become his follower, your money is no longer your own. Because you're no longer your own. You, everything you are and everything you have, belongs to him. And that's a mercy. It may not feel that way, but when it comes to following Jesus, the quickest path to failure is to try to believe in Jesus with your head while standing on your rights, holding on to your money and guarding your pride. Zacchaeus did none of those things. He put himself and his money in Jesus' hands. If you're worried that Jesus might not leave you enough to live on, stop worrying. He will provide for all your needs. If you're not so much worried about your needs as your wants, you're afraid he won't leave you enough to do the things you want, to buy new cars and houses and take vacations and retire early, don't worry about that either. It'll be fine. He will change your wants so that you want what he wants, even if that means you don't want what you now want. The thing is to be all his. He protects what's his. You can count on it. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Now, does that mean that Zacchaeus experienced salvation because he promised to give away his money? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I think Jesus was saying that Zacchaeus' change of heart about his money was evidence that he had experienced, or better, was experiencing God's salvation. His life was being reoriented around his belief in the God of Jesus. He had entered life in the kingdom of God under his rule. And that showed in his new attitude towards his money. Which is only another way of saying it showed in his new attitude toward himself, toward others, and especially toward God. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus did not say the Son of Man came to build a reputation. Or the Son of Man came to establish a religion. He came to seek and save what was lost. Consider what that says about his character. What it says about God's character. For in this, like everything else about God, it is always like Father, like Son. But... Is it like son, like me? Am I seeking those who are outside of Christ? Am I as inclusive in my acceptance of others as Jesus? Do I honestly want everybody to be on the inside? Everybody to be with me and loving and following Jesus? Or do I rule some people out? Because they're liberal, or they're conservative, or they're rich, or they're poor, or they're uneducated, or they're gay, or they're irreligious, or they're wrongly religious. Do I place them on the other side of the line and just condemn them? If you say, but they're wrong. They're wrong. I don't disagree with you. But I would add, so is Zacchaeus. So was Shane Looper. So were you.
And God didn't draw a circle and stick us on the outside of it. If you open your heart to Jesus, you need to know this. If you open your heart to Jesus, you will eventually have to open it to everyone else. That's the way it works. And thank God, that's the way it works. Now let's pray. God, open our hearts to Jesus. And there'll be room for everyone else. Save us, Lord, from keeping our hearts close to Jesus. And eventually close to everyone else. Give us a heart like Jesus. Amen.